Welcome to this week, next week from Group M Live. Together, it's Brian Weezer and Kate Scott Dawkins in the same room. Amazing. She, she's real. <laughs> How did this happen? Does feel nice to be uh, seeing colleagues and, and people after having um, you know been out of the office for quite a while. So it's good. I'm feral personally. I just don't know what it's like to interact with human beings. I, I thought everyone fit into a square on a screen. Right. It is amazing how you meet people for the first time and they, even though you've seen them on video calls, it's different. It's different in real life. Most people don't know that I'm 11 foot 12. <laughs> you didn't uh, know that, right? Oh dear. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, anyway, so yes, we are here in person. Um, and uh, well, what a week, uh, as uh, always, you know, we, we, I think we talked last time about getting ready for this year, next year, and it's coming up and it's going to be all sorts of fun stuff. And we're, we're doing a lot of collaboration on that. Um, I got to say, before we get into some you know, news analysis that we've done, a couple things that are bothering me. You know, it, it's my uh, the 20th wedding anniversary coming up. Mm, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And um, I, I, I did buy my wife a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, a little bit of jewelry. Nice. Yeah, that's what one should do, right? Okay. I am getting aggressively targeted from an online retailer I did not buy from. Right. But they think you should have. Clearly. <laughs> clearly. And they seem to think I should on the computer in my dining room uh, where maybe my wife might see that ad. Mm. Yeah. So this is the... Uh yeah, retargeting is not for those wishing to remain anonymous. <laughs> In personalization is not always done well. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, I think this is an important um, point, a reminder for anyone in the advertising marketing community to remember that um, uh, there's all sorts of unintended ways that advertising campaign ca campaigns can severely diminish, create negative value for a brand. Because I don't know if I'm going to buy from entity that uh, will not be named at this moment, but which is aggressively retargeting me. But you're you're now obviously an interested jewelry buyer. They found you. I guess so, but I'm not going to buy another one for like this for another 20 years. <laughs> yep. All um, right. Um, so sorry, Brian's wife. No more jewelry in the cards for you. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, the other thing, and, and sorry, just getting back to being here in person, we, we realized that um, we also have a grand, brand new crazy business idea. Oh yeah, okay. Let's let's hit that before we get into the news. Yeah, yeah. This is a good one. Um, and and so we realized as as we were doing work together, collaborating and going through like some model updates and crazy things like that, I realized what if what if Twitch for analysis, huh huh? I mean, are you thinking this is just a, a channel you're going to have on a platform like Twitch or YouTube, or you think you need, I don't think there's quite enough uh, audience for say its own platform. Oh, I don't know. I think it might be its own platform because I think you get all of Wall Street, you know, you basically would be updating a model and you'd be talking through it. And while you're listening to an earnings call, you share snarky comments about the company's comments, you know, cynical quips, whatever. Uh -huh. That it will work, right? I think it's a bit limited. Yeah. I like it. I, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting to a few of us. No, well, a few of us. I, but hey, maybe the listeners of this podcast. So. A niche platform like like Twitter or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe you just get bots watching your um your Twitter your Twitter stream. This is fair. Stream. I would and I would sell it for fifty four dollars and twenty cents a share. <laughs> um, 
speaking of Texas, we're here in Texas. Yes. Were we speaking of Texas? We are speaking of Texas at this moment. Now, okay, good. And we're it's, here. It's just a coincidence, if you will, that Texas is in the news. Yes. Um, so there is this law, um, I guess it's HB 20, which, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to read for those of you unfamiliar with it from uh, actually Axios did a wonderful job of summarizing what's happened. So give credit where it's due. Basically, this law um, uh, was passed in September of last year. Uh, it was immediately uh, there was a stay on it um, pretty quickly because it seemed like it would violate the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. And uh, because it basically would force a platform to host speech that uh, the platform doesn't like, right? It would it would eliminate potentially eliminate content moderation, and so that's. A, you agree that sounds like a First Amendment violation, maybe? Yeah, it's it's a problem. I think you know they'd probably argue it's protecting free speech uh, on the other side, but um, no, it's it's definitely problematic, which is why there's been such yeah. an outcry. Conventional wisdom has been that you can't take tell a private platform it has to have certain content. I can't go to uh, the New York Times or the Financial Times and say, you must print my uh, letter to the editor. Fair enough? Right. Right. And so the concept is, you can't force a platform to publish your speech. But that's that's the idea. We don't know how this plays out in, in theory, or when this law ultimately has this plays out. So uh, what happened was immediately when the law uh, was passed, it, there was a stay on it. And what was the big news was that uh, last week, uh, an appeals court uh, basically overturned that. Anyways, this is not going away anytime soon. And so uh, at some point, there will be a full consideration by the Supreme Court of the United States. And so the big question is, uh, what happens to a world if something like this permanently becomes law? It's a Texas law. Yeah. But it has American and, I would argue, global implications. Would you agree? Yeah, we've seen this in the past where, um, you know, platforms to make it somewhat easier on themselves or marketers to make it somewhat easier will take you know, maybe the the furthest or most stringent you know type of data privacy regulation and apply that globally because it's easier to do one thing everywhere than a bunch of piecemeal things and I think it's also why we've heard calls from some platform owners saying they would like to have a national law that supersedes all of these state laws um, so that they're not trying to you know piecemeal various regulations together across various states yeah and i think one of the things that we you know as we've seen with the twitter drama as it's played out it, it's pretty clear that there would be a you know, there's some similarities if you will between what musk had said he was interested in twitter doing and uh, what this law appears to intend to do. And, and the consequence would be clearly uh, an environment that most marketers would deem less brand safe. Just most people on the platforms would deem less pleasant. <laughs> yeah, and so this becomes a, a real business problem. Um, and the question is, what if the platforms basically applied these laws in at least the United States, uh, across the United States, and possibly globally, what does that mean? I don't think they can. I mean, people everywhere other than Texas aren't going to want to have that content visible, you know, when yeah. their children use the platform or when they use the platform. I can't imagine it 
stays up everywhere else. And then you're thinking, does something get geofenced, which also isn't an elegant solution. So I just think it's not done in the courts. Or there'll be challenges from other states the other direction. I, you would think, but that's the, all these uncertainties that are still playing out. And um, I guess there's broader implications to be mindful of, depending on how this does end up playing out regarding uh, how is exactly the First Amendment uh, in the United States uh, defined. Yeah. Um, so there's other news this week, and I, I think a lot of, uh, um, you know, we talked last week about analyst panic and chaos of a different kind. Uh, there's a lot more of that, it seems, in the world of more inflation data coming out, um, certainly um, eye-popping numbers in the UK uh, and Canada. Uh, and, um, you know, we see, saw some major retailers just well, kind of blowing up this week, too. I think that the... Uh, issue is that uh, there it's less about the uh, revenue shortfalls, although that's that's a, a thing, um, and more that, uh, you know, costs are rising. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's become the, the main issue. But I think that it's interesting. We look at, um, you know, sales. Uh, Walmart was up 3%, Target up 3%, roughly on a comparable basis. Um, and if we look at, uh, you know, U.S. data broadly, we saw that retail sales were, were actually up reasonably mm-hmm. well, although driven by inflation. But we, what was interesting was China also produced some data on retail sales, uh, and those numbers were not particularly positive. Yeah. Uh, I'm calculating 11% decline. Oh, right, yeah. okay. That's a big decline. Uh, and online sales uh, were down either 7% if you include all online sales, or 5% if we're just talking about physical goods. Wow. So yeah, I mean, with China, it's somewhat lockdown driven, you know, maybe somewhat goods purchases that were pulled forward into last year. I mean, last year was such a big year. People have now sort of run out of space for all these things they bought last year. I don't know. It's true. But I mean, I think that the, you know, the thing that'll be interesting is to see how it plays out ultimately in in our world for for the advertising market, right? I think Mm. we still feel... As we look at markets around the world, everyone's really appropriately concerned about higher prices from a consumer perspective and all the consequences. But I mean, we're not seeing a negative trend generally, I think, about advertising. We are seeing other channels pick up while e-commerce is slowing. So um, we have our travel advertisers that are back, right? They Mm -hmm. were meaning like noticeably absent during the pandemic. Um, and now back to, you know, I think some of those uh, digital endemics like a booking and Expedia, back to what billion plus advertising budgets, which, um, you know, goes some way to counteracting the, the decreases or the deceleration that we're seeing in e-commerce. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, again, we keep hearing from large packaged goods companies where, although everyone's cautious about the rest of the year, it does seem that um, because consumers are still willing to pay higher prices, because unemployment remains really low in most major economies, um, and there's still wage gains that, you know, the, the conditions still feel like they're not gonna get negative in real terms. At least that's my current thinking. Yeah, it's a funky year too with events happening in different times. So we have the World Cup happening in Q4 this year. So we may, it's gonna be a, a sort of very, late numbers in terms of seeing where the year ends up because we just don't know what effect that timing for a World Cup will have as well. There will be some advertising revenue that happens there. 
No, very true. On, on the topic of China, I did a bit of a deep dive. Ooh. Yes, indeed. I didn't think we'd do a deep dive, but we did. A and deeper dive. That's what we did. Um, so last year, uh, you may have seen an analysis that I did, uh, which we published uh, on groupm.com, where we went into the top 40 uh, largest marketers globally and tried to figure out how dependent they are on China as a source of revenue. And so just as a reminder, we'll send up a link to this uh, publication on um, along with the podcast here. But essentially what we found last year is that of the 40 largest marketers, about a third have no revenue in China mm -hmm. uh, because they either have joint ventures where they have an equity stake but no real business uh, or because they just have a de minimis presence there. There's about a third that have some revenue from China, but not big enough to disclose. So probably a uh, single digit, call it uh, percentage of revenue. Okay. And then the other third have a more meaningful share of revenue. What I calculated from those top, or the 13 of the top 40, is that the average company generated about 10% of its revenue from China this past year. Okay. Is that surprising or not surprising? Um. I guess if I, I don't know. Now, as I'm thinking about it in my head going through that, maybe not that surprising. I mean, as the number two economy, maybe you'd expect that that would be higher, um, but they tend to be net a global exporter of goods rather than an importer. So um, I don't know, maybe that's about in line, maybe slightly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Well, I mean, here's the other way to think of it. We can't know for certain, but it's probably the case that if we took all 40 and looked at the average share of revenue for all 40, that number is probably more like 5%, right? maybe even lower. Two point, second largest economy, nearly 20% of global GDP, and it's that small. Yeah. Right. So the uh, takeaway or an important uh, takeaway from the analysis uh, that I did is that that 10% is up from 9% last year. And when you account for uh, exchange rate changes, it's really kind of difficult to be precise because you don't know, there's a number of variables that matter on this, but revenues were up quite a lot from China for those companies, but it's still a small share of uh, the total revenue base for the vast majority of the world's largest advertisers. Hmm. And what, what, remind me what the time period is that we're looking this at? Last year, calendar 2021. Okay. And then you're comparing it to 2020. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I I don't think we'll get there this year unless things really rebound after some of these lockdowns. But well, we have to see where um, you know GDP and consumer spending in in China. I mean, presumably will still come out positive. But one of the broader trends that's been happening, it seems more generally, is that local brands and uh, companies who are you know not global uh, manufacturers have been generally taking share of of the economy. Um, but with that noted, I mean, at least for these companies who the large brands who are present there, they do seem to be experiencing some solid growth. So that is some. New data. Just makes you glad for things like SEC filings where they have to announce their largest markets. <laughs> we love SEC filings. <laughs> okay, so as we mentioned, we were fortunate enough this week to be with a lot of our colleagues from around the world, and I took the opportunity to sit down with two of our country CEOs at Group M, uh, Patrick Xu from China and Isabella from Poland, and we're going to have a listen to those interviews now. 
I'm here with Patrick Xu, CEO of Group M China. Um, how are you? Thanks for joining me. Good. Very good. Nice to be here. <laughs> so first, I'd love to hear just a little bit about how the, the media community, the marketing community is, is feeling in China right now. We talked earlier on the show about the recent retail sales in China. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's been news of the you know, COVID restrictions there. How, how should people be thinking about the market right now? How are you and your colleagues thinking about the market right now? Obviously, you know, obviously we were disappointed with, you know, the COVID restrictions, right? You know, it's kind of a, a bit upset, you know, with, you know, uh, seems that, you know, all around the world, you know, seems that, you know, people are getting out of, you know, the COVID uh, situation. You know, China is uh, hopefully, you know, this is the last sort of strike, you know, with COVID. Um, there, are, there are obviously short-term sort of headwinds, as you see that, you know, retail sales is going, you know, backwards, you know, in April. And, uh, but, you know, I think a look at, you know, this sort of COVID updates in Shanghai, in some of the major cities, you know, things are starting to better in control, right? You know, hopefully, you know, within two, three weeks of time that, you know, things are getting normal gradually. Um, and obviously that, you know, uh, there's a plan, you know, to boost the vaccinations, especially among the senior populations. I think inevitable there are some short-term sort of headwinds, you know, from commercial economic activities. But, you know, I think longer term that, you know, we're still very, very positive about uh, the sort of the prospect of the businesses and commercial opportunity in this market. So I think, you know, our media partners, our brands are very much in the same situation. Mm-hmm. Understand that you know we gotta go through this a little bit short-term tough water, but uh, then you know we're gonna coming back you know strong. I think that's the you know, general sentiment. Yeah, one of the things um, we see, I mean, this sec- this time and last time with this year next year is, is how sort of far ahead China is in the pack in terms of the the move to digital and, and how much of the um, overall media spend is digital. And some of that, I believe, has come with a shift into performance marketing as well. Can you just um, Tell people a little bit about you know, how that's come about or you know, where you see that going. Have, have we sort of reached peak performance marketing? Is it going to slide back towards brand? What's, what's your thinking? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, in, in China, that obviously, that, you know, we have been uh, crossing in you know, sort of, you know, media budget, you know, you know contribution you know, from digital more than 80%, more than 85%, you know, sort of mark, you know, and, you know, among that, you know, within that, you know, there's a, there's a lot going to you know the social KL spendings. There's a lot of performance marketing and e-commerce platform spendings as well, uh, and you know you're starting to see that you know uh, more and more that you know, it's uh, it's a combination of up funnel sort of marketing spending and lower funnel marketing uh, funnel spendings as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's a, you know, obviously moving very quickly in that. Uh, if you take a group M, you know, we as example, right, you know, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, the decline net sales uh, that we are getting from our clients, close to 30% is about social KL spending and performance marketing spending revenues and also the commerce spending. So it's take a big chunk of, you know, our so the net sales from the clients are doing all those works, you know, uh, for our clients. And then, you know, the way that we look at this is that, you know, we're going to go into our clients more and more to provide a kind of an end-to-end total service, not just sort of the pay the media planning and buying, but, you know, how, how did that restitch commerce 
Stitch, right? Uh, performance marketing and Stitch KL influencer all together with strategy and data together, so that we'd be able to give you know our, our people, our, our brands, a total end-to-end -end solution. Okay, and uh, it's fascinating. This is great, great to hear. Is there anything else that um, you think people should just know about the market? Anything like that might might be unique to to China that would be um, good to inform our listeners about as we do sort of a, a tour of tour of the markets. Um, I think I think you know I think it's a, it's a obviously you know fast changing evolving you know I think everywhere is the same right you know I think the recent COVID sort of challenge across the world is pushing that sort of change even faster. I think the only thing I would say is embrace the change and you know learn your new tricks and then you know embrace the future. Yeah, Embrace the future. There it is. It's the, uh, the sentiment for the week. Thank you so much, Patrick. No problem. Thank you. I'm uh, joined now by Isabella Aprihivic, CEO of Group N Poland. Welcome. Thank you, Kate. Isabella, tell me about uh, the Polish market right now and, and how people are feeling about the coming year ahead here, 2022. So, uh, talking about you know what is now in Poland, you know as, as after COVID we have extremely good year in Poland and we we did a lot of development and 24th Feb was came and you know everybody you know in especially in Poland be, uh, started afraid what will happen next and the war and we you know we are very close people to Ukrainian people. We before the war we have already two million of Ukrainian people in Poland and we support all our Ukraine office from WPP side. So eighty around eighty ninety people is in Warsaw. Around CE we have hundred thirty people. We provide everything for them. It's you know houses, flat, and this was amazing collaboration with our uh, uh, mother WPP. So, uh, so we have now, as I said, uh, three more than three million new population, one million kids. So, but we we have also uh, because of massive inflation, what's happened in the world. So the inflation is growing. Uh, we still think that we will be, our economy will be positive. However, you know, what's happened around uh, the war and inflation and G GDP de decreased so could have a big impact. Now, we just heard from Patrick about the prevalence of digital in China, but um, that's, that's not the case, is it, in Poland in terms of media channel share? Mm. What I could say that in Sea markets and in Poland and other sea markets, television is still uh, important medium. So it's still around fifty. I could say from Poland side is fifty uh, is is fifty fifty to digital. Uh, uh, so for advertiser, we need to remember that television. But uh, time of viewing. Uh, is decreasing so you know the people moving more to to the streaming to the video uh, digital is growing uh, performance is growing uh, e-commerce is growing so this is very important I mean are clients looking at uh, say the, the entry of a player like 
Disney or Discovery Warner Brothers uh, at, on the long, along the same lines as, say, Polish broadcasters? Or is there, is there a noticeable difference, do you think, in how clients are approaching that? Or is it all part of the same TV budget mindset when they're planning? The, the, the same TV. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I could say that there's no kind of different. I mean, there's uh, television planning is, you know, that, that we is that we we need to television plan on one one month advance and the last year was very busy so when you are dubai so we will not get airtime and digital is programmatic is main uh, so we could have you know uh, always and all, all, always uh, optimization regarding regarding uh, um, that's not different uh, to, to Western market. So I want to pick up on something you said there where uh, TV buying is done one month in advance. Ahead. Ahead. And that's just every, that's the, the cycle they release yes. the next month's spots. Yes. Okay. That's, yeah. I mean, this is fascinating because it's so different <laughs> to how, say, the US has upfront. Yeah. Um, so, so one month and you, you've got two methods. You could buy a package of GRPs on rate cards. So, you know. But, but when you uh, when the uh, is sold out uh, airtime, so you are on the rate card. So this is the uh, you know you need to pick up spot. Going back to the situation today quickly, I mean, how are marketers adapting to the influx of uh, Ukrainian refugees? I mean, it can't be easy. But the media are prepared. So we have radio in Ukraine. We have. Uh, we have a lot of products from uh, from Ukraine too. So, but this but this could be also future for Poland because we are we the, our population is decreased. So you know this will be for job and there's a lot of talents coming from the Ukraine. So IT, they are very good on mathematician. What I could observe. So. Uh, so I think that could be also future, and I, I could see that Poland could be a future for kind of. Um, uh, bigger hubs there could be you know two scenario because we still don't know what will be with this war from Russia because you know uh, what's happened but it could be Poland could be in the centrum of the economy and see uh, you know uh, this is I think that because there will be big investment through uh, for for Ukraine so I think I'm thinking positively that will our market will be more important for the global companies. Great. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to try to do more of these market interviews over the coming months and write in and let us know if there are any questions that you want answered about a specific market. Uh, now let's jump back into my conversation with Brian and talk about what's coming up next week. I think looking forward to um, you know to next week. We got more. Speaking of China, we get many more of the uh, Chinese companies reporting earnings. So that's going to be a key thing. Yeah, I think we mentioned that uh, we're you know speaking now on Wednesday, so we still haven't seen I think Tencent and Xiaomi that come out this week. So we'll add those into our tech composite. That'll be good. Yeah, and beyond that, I think uh, you know we're just trying to finalize all the data. So that's uh, that's where we are. Lots and lots of Excel spreadsheets. Lots of spreadsheets. Okay. Thanks for joining us again for This Week Next Week. Live and in person. See you next time. This Week Next Week is hosted by me, Kate Scott Dawkins, and Brian Weezer. Our producer is Jared Bayman. Our showrunner is Sam Weston. 
The views and opinions expressed here are our own and are not intended to represent those of Group M or its clients. If you have questions, comments, or requests for future segments, let us know at business.intelligence at groupm.com. Mm -hmm.